Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. We don't tolerate finish changes around here, but we do have Eric Bischoff answering your questions. You listen to them? Now hang out with us! This is After 83 Weeks with Christy Olson. That's me. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz Let the buzz begin. Hello, 83 Weeks fans, and welcome to After 83 Weeks. This is the show where we break down all the revelations, we get your fan reactions, and also the man, Eric Bischoff, will be joining us a little later, answering your questions for a little special Q&A session. You know that's what we do around here now that we are on the 83 Weeks channel. Don't forget to hit subscribe because you never want to miss any of this juicy good stuff we got for you. My name is Christy Olson. Here's who's joining me today, the usual suspects, shall we call them. He is a professional wrestling commentator, referee, and an evil manager who put on quite a show last week. Oh, indeed. Say hello to Christian Rosenberg. Hello. Happy holidays to you, Christy. Thank you so much. And maybe happy holidays to the other two guys. Oh, wow. I mean, one of them looks pretty festive. (laughs) He is an independent wrestler. We call him the Encyclopedia of Sports Entertainment. Say hello to George Hermosa. I thought you were going to say I look pretty. But then pretty festive. But it's okay. I guess I'll take pretty festive. Bubble bursted on that one. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh. Aww, wah, wah. Well, this guy is pretty handsome in his uh, sport coat today. I do what I can. You do what you can, like run the YouTube pages of a lot of our favorite wrestling stars? More than I can list. And that's not hyperbole. I'm Steve Kaufman. <laughs> he is Steve Kaufman. Hey, guys. We got the energy hey, rolling. We do. Hey. Hey. We were chatting about all kinds of interesting <laughs> things before the show. I'm sure some of that's going to come out because this was a pretty juicy episode of 83 Weeks. I don't even think I've said it yet. They broke down Starcade 1998, which features in the main event the infamous end to Goldberg's winning streak. We are going to get to all of that. But you know we have Eric Bischoff coming in a little bit later answering your questions. And we want to make sure that you know how to get those questions to him because he's joining us every week. So make sure you post on social media using hashtag after 83 weeks. And follow all of us and hit up our Facebook page, facebook.com slash after 83 weeks. And we will get your questions asked like we're going to do in a little bit. But first, we got to break down everything that Eric and Conrad said in this episode. A lot of big reveals here. And, of course, we got another, shall we say, controversial finish <laughs> and another screaming match. I don't know if we should call it a match because it was pretty one-sided once again. A screaming squash match. <laughs> a screaming squash match between Conrad and Eric Bischoff. So, to set the tone, you know, going back to uh, 1998, we're all a tad younger. WCW, they're riding that residual wave from their 1997 success. But, as Eric Bischoff mentioned at the end of last week's episode when we covered Starcade 97, one Mike Tyson is coming around to WWE, and uh, this is WCW in, uh, in flux, shall we say, entering Starcade 1998. 
in this year, WCW grossed $188 million, which sounds like a lot, but Time Warner wasn't happy, uh, Turner wasn't happy, and uh, they need to pull out a big show here for Starcade 1998, which is what they tried to do. This all kicked off with a lot of talk about EBITDA. Which I have to say, I wasn't particularly interested in. Gentlemen, did this catch any of your attention? I actually did find it a little interesting. Me too. Okay, okay. I, I mean, I wasn't familiar with EBITDA until he, <laughs> until he brought it up. Who is? Um, but, but yeah, I, it's just interesting because, you know, they're making so much money for the company. And, you know, and there's talk about it with, like, you know, mainstream. Everyone's like, oh, Raw, Monday Night Raw is just too long. Why don't they go back to two hours? Well, because they bring so much money to the mm-hmm. USA Network, and essentially Turner was trying to do even more mm-hmm. with that. It was like, well, let's let's do that fourth. Let's do Tuesday Nitro. Yeah, a lot what? of people forget that Nitro I, was three hours back in the day. Yeah, it, yeah. Um, it's it's seven fifty seven. I just think about, is what, yeah. when it would start, <laughs> just to get that little head start. So, but all that made money, and all that would cost them money to do, and the fact that they had to spend their own money. To continue it, that I found very interesting. Mm-hmm. It's just funny because, like, you you hear you heard I heard that a lot. Where it was like, WC or there was Bischoff was saying, "Well, we had to use our own money." But a lot of people kind of say, like, "Well, you use Ted Turner's money to spend a lot of to, to uh, sign a lot of people." You know, mm-hmm. well, spend your own money to to make these things happen. You know, so I, I thought that was kind of interesting the way it was kind of portrayed on the episode. Well, and I think it was also portrayed in this episode and also in his book. I, this is the first I've heard of the EBITDA, which is <laughs> essentially he can't run WCW like he's a sole proprietor, which is how his competition is running it under Vince McMahon. Mm-hmm. He has to run it as a subsidiary of a giant corporation that may have other departments that are taking in huge losses. So their thought is, your C, A and B are taking in losses. So you need to make more programming to try and make more money to counteract A and B. And if you and if you don't, to hell with you. Right. You don't get a say. You don't get a say. You're a subsidiary of one corporation that's merging with another corporation. We don't care if you're on the cover of TV Guide. <laughs> this was a juicy tidbit. I like that. This Thanks. was juicy compared to Bruce Pritchard Friday, who was saying, oh my God, it's such a huge honor to be on the cover of TV Guide. In around the same time frame. Well, we now know that WCW paid to get its stars in the pages of TV Guide. That's pretty interesting, right? I, I mean, that's I, I, I thought so. so. I mean, but my question is, were they implying that the WWF paid to be on the TV Guide as well? Yeah, um, I would think so. Um, he, I don't know much more about this than Eric Because why would one have to pay and the other not? I'm sure they did. It, it just depends. I mean, who's going after who? Did the TV guide approach WWF and say, we want to have some of your guys? WCW heard about it. Hey, we want some of our guys, too. Let me pay you guys a little bit extra to make sure that Goldberg and Hogan are on the cover. It I just think depends on who was I think, And I also don't think it's as transactional as he's claiming. Like, it's not a cash machine. Like, it's not an ATM. Like, you have to be vaguely related to television. Well, guys, I think is a good holiday present to let you know that we're going to be on the cover of TV Guide next week. I, I treated you guys... <gasps> It's happening. How much did you spend? Finally. Um, $32. <laughs> wow. Is that like the, the, like the thing where you can just kind of Photoshop it and that's what you're going to give us? It is, isn't it? You spent $32 on the program to do it, didn't you? Okay. Ah, well, guys, we will get it. to the bottom of if he was implying that WWF paid as well because we can uh, ask him ourselves in yes. about 35 minutes. <laughs> or a little Okay. Less. Which we will do. There was a little tidbit dropped here, too, about Rey Mysterio Jr., Benoit, something about an offer, and it turned out to really be false anyway. This is one of those debunked rumors, 
and to be honest with you, I couldn't quite follow this entire story. Was this an important piece of information for you guys? Of, I mean, I think it's kind of irrelevant, especially with the whole Benoit and Malenko and all those yeah. guys. Because well, they were gone like a, a year later. Yeah, less than a so, year later. So they were it was gone. Like, well, and I mean, Benoit was champion when he left. Yeah, so that, it's like, that even was the if they were to. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the fact that they did resign, well, they ended up negotiating their contracts to leave anyway. So mm-hmm. it's like it was all caught up for nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, I did like the part in this where he spoke specifically about how. How he dealt with people while they were renegotiating a contract. Yes, this this was uh, this offered a lot of insight to us. Mm-hmm. He basically did admit that you know some guys were afraid that if they didn't take a deal, they might go out there and get squashed. Mm-hmm. And I, I was surprised that he admitted that. He did also kind of justify the other side of it and really explain that that was not. It wasn't like they were trying to threaten the guys with that, but that it did exist, and he acknowledges that. See, if I was, you see, I don't, I don't, I don't see why people come down on Bishop for that because if you know a guy's leaving, why are you going to invest a lot of money to a guy that's not going to so be there? True. It's not about squashing them or you know, whatever it is, or maybe, maybe, maybe them not looking strong before they go to the opposition. But why are you just going to invest all this time and money into somebody that's not going to be there in a couple months? Yeah, you, well, you you do one of two things: you either bury them or you just completely keep them off TV. Mm-hmm. Mm. And if they're your champion, you have to well, at I'm, least get the title off of them. Right. And we got some insight, too, into the paychecks of guys like Rey Mysterio Jr., uh, who was getting about 200 k a year. Other guys, mid-card guys, were at about half a million. And then, of course, Sting was making a whopping $6.5 million at this time. There's quite a discrepancy there. Um... Six point five million a year, or six. Or I was going with three years. Yeah, his contract was oh, over. Like, but that's still no, two that's plus still million ma- compared to the <laughs> that others. That is still that's a still whopping a- two point something million. But, but, but compared to the others, it's still a big it's difference. A, it's exponential. Yeah. Um. See, I, I don't think, know math, but I used a big word. But that's you the did. Mm-hmm. You know I think, English. I think if we look at Sting's payouts, probably since nineteen ninety six, it's been something like this, where he's one of the top paid guys at the place. That's why you that's why he was at TNA for so long cuz they were it was maybe 100 dates, probably 50, and he was making 2 3 million a year. Correct me. He wasn't getting that much from I'm TNA. pulling out I'm pulling out random figures. There's no way. Someone will back me up. There's no way he got he that was much making money. TNA high, has not made 2 to 3 million dollars. That doesn't mean they didn't spend it. <laughs> oh. That's a fair point. That is fair. That is fair. I think he was making high six figures for a very long period of time. That's to, a lot different than 2 to I 3 million. I mean the rumor was 500k a year. Okay. That was the big rumor uh, as far as how much he made in TNA, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, I always kind of like hearing these numbers because you always kind of feel like wait, Mysterio kind of makes sense, but like, I don't know, like Hoofy, I thought had a good a lot of good value. Like he was on TV a lot. Like I don't mm-hmm. know, like I international know, markets. I, know, I guess I, I know the contractual situation was very different there because it was like kind of more of a downside guarantee for mm-hmm. a certain amount of dates. It was days dates. It was pretty much days and dates because merch or appearances or. None of that. It wasn't the McManified way, right. where it's it's what a corporation, how a corporation would hire people. Yeah. It was it was not McManified. But let's talk about how Eric Bischoff ran WCW. He explains that at this time there was two narratives really. One that reported that he is this bully, and oh. another that said you know he's easy e, he's easy to work with. And he said the two narratives would just work according to the dirt sheets whatever story they needed to push. So if it was Eric fired somebody in the middle of a show, he's a big mean guy, there he is being a bully again. If it's that uh, Hogan is running the show, well then Bischoff's getting too familiar with talent and he's being easy and he's letting them do whatever whatever they want. That must be incredibly frustrating for Eric, but it did help answer a lot of questions for me. 
right? Did mm. you did this? I mean, was this meaningful question, to I'm, you I'm guys? I'm kind of curious what kind of questions because I mean, like any and anything and and all. I get it, but it's like with how many people you hear this about Vince too, where you have a lot of guys that talk bad about Vince, but then you look at who's talking bad about Vince, the guys that did very well or the guys that maybe didn't do very well, Mm -hmm. you know? So, but then you hear like so many stories about Vince is the great human being. You see all these Mm. things that you don't really hear about giving Mr. Fuji money when he found out he was movie, was a working at the movie theater stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, thing. It's like, I think with the position that you're in, no matter what, it's just something that's going to come with the territory. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure we can all kind of relate in some ways where it's like, there's probably a couple of people that don't like us. Impossible. You know? And it's mm-hmm. like, we know that there's a lot of people that do like us. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, it's no different when you're Bischoff. It just might be, you know, printed in the dirt sheets this, this time around because, mm-hmm. you know, he's Bischoff. I, I actually hadn't heard it put so eloquently by Eric of... Right. That there's two completely polar narratives about him as a owner a manager a leader which was which is very fascinating and interesting i i feel like somewhere in the middle is probably where he falls most days mm-hmm. that the, the easy e thing sounds like you could cozy up to him at times especially if you're on the higher end of the roster but then there's also like if you're not on the higher end of the roster and you caught him on the wrong moment he might not really care about who you are and what you're doing like mm-hmm. um i feel both sides i could see both sides that nothing what we're learning about this show is that nothing is what it seems. It's just it's easy to print those kind of things because yeah. it makes for a story. Mm-hmm. You know, like a lot of people don't realize that he's running. Uh, Melcher's running a business. Mm. What are you going to do to run a business? You're going to make sure that people stay as subscribers. You're writing a story. It is essentially it is what it is. I think it's maybe not as bad as maybe he printed it out to be because mm-hmm. again, that's most people. But again, it, it's when you're a business, you got to sit there and enhance whatever it is that you got. Well, someone who is giving him and the other dirt sheets a lot to write about was Scott Hall. Mm. Now, Conrad was really curious about these consecutive car crashes. Mm. He he wanted to know what was going on with Scott Hall at this time. (laughs) Bischoff sort of skirted around him with some other (laughs) stuff that he was was hilarious. Didn't quite answer the question here. Also said the Brazilian hooker thing that he said on this show. I noticed that too. Twice on his own show, which he's free to do. <laughs> he's he's really pushing that we, Brazilian we, hooker narrative. We, we gave him the idea. We were the test audience. Yes. We, he was he was trying that out in a smaller. Town. It worked. It worked. It worked well. Let's see what he tests this week. Yeah. Well, he did finally kind of give us a, a little bit of stuff, a little info on Scott Hall. You know, his wife going on the local news to say that he should be uh, out of the business. They talked a little bit about Scott Steiner as well, who had to plead guilty to terroristic threats and aggravated assault at this time. So I think Conrad probably finally got the answer he was looking for, right? It wasn't It wasn't that juicy. If there was a TMZ back then, there it would be. Yeah. Oh, because sure. I, there was social media back then and all that. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been a much bigger deal. A guy on that show making that much money, mm-hmm. living have, his life like that. Having oh. multiple car wrecks. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. No, that would be... Yeah. That wouldn't be very well. And I think Eric kind of touched on that, too, that it's like, oh, in, in, in today's age, we'd have to let that guy go. Yeah. Right. 98? Right. Well, no. We're good. 98, we could hide stuff. Yeah. Well, they they could hide some stuff, but what went down in a private staff meeting was all over the world. Let's talk about this. This was a big point in the episode for me. So to break it down for all of you, in case you don't remember, this was talking about Conrad asking Eric about a meeting 
uh, a WCW meeting that was reported on in which Eric Bischoff told his staff that WWF is doing better now just because they are being vulgar. You can attribute it to their teenage fans and that that will eventually kill WWF because they're going too far. And this is also when he... Uh, intro DDP and Kevin Nash into creative and told everybody that he is not going to tolerate changing finishes. This was in reaction, I guess, to something that happened between Stevie Ray and Conan. But Eric admits in in a moment of a lot of truth here that that was complete BS. Mm. He says he himself did not believe that for a second. And he actually says, I'm getting triggered. I'm getting pissed off just <laughs> talking about this. He got really hot about this and explains that it was the company line. It was the ad salespeople. It was everybody telling him, this is what you got to tell your people. Did this blow your mind? No, because WWE lost some advertisers based on their product. The thing with WWE is they didn't bother changing. They mm-hmm. kept going, mm-hmm. and they still got other advertisers. WCW, Turner, not Bischoff, Turner didn't want to take that risk mm-hmm. because probably at that point they already realized, oh, we're starting to lose. The last thing we need to do is lose sponsors. So let's keep going what we're doing and let's not do the vulgar thing. Yeah, hopefully it's just a fad and it'll pass. Yeah. But no, I remember there were there there have been I can't think of them off the top of my head right now, but there were other people that like pulled out of having commercials on Raw because it's like Okay, we're not going to associate ourselves with HLA, or we're not going to associate mm. ourselves with um, the fact that we're putting Steve Austin on a crucifix. Mm. Where I mean, like there was a symbol, <laughs> whatever. Um, so I mean, it happened. Jar. But the 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 key thing with WWE and the key thing to Vince McMahon is they went all in and they just kept going. We're not going to take a step back. Mm-hmm. WCW took a step back. And so I, what Bischoff told his people was not BS. Well, it was the company line. It was it, no, he he. Well, he felt it's BS, mm-hmm. but he was told by his higher ups that we have to do this because he was running a subdivision. He was running a subdivision of a major corporation. Right again, like you're saying, the A, B, and C, or whatever. That was yeah. the size of Vince McMahon's organization. Mm-hmm. So he had to report and get get approval from other people, whereas Vince McMahon ran the whole show and could could right. fail or succeed on his own merit. I mean, that hell. That's why DX had to do that. That like. That fo- like phony public service address. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because the USA reached out to them about it. Yeah, That's right. But they were just like, "Screw it, we're going to keep going." But he, at this point, what else could he do? Yeah, that was the bet he. That was the bet he made. Yeah. I think they kind of stuck with it because I mean, you can sit there and say WWF changed because of WCW, but WCW didn't really adjust to that. You know what I mean? Like, WWF yeah. changed because of WCW. So now the WWF is, is, is moving ahead. Now WCW has to kind of change the way they do things. And they never really did that. No, they but, didn't. But Eric would tell you he prob- he tried and was unable to. Because mm-hmm. he was in the midst of a merger. You have to also have to understand that with the vulgar content WWF was doing at the time, that, lo- that draws eyeballs, but it also draws controversy. Mm-hmm. WCW couldn't be controversial because they were owned by Time Warner, who was trying to merge with AOL. You can't have controversy under either banner if you're trying to make a merger. I think like that's that kind of a cop out, though, because if they were if they were making money, why would you eliminate that department? They saw that they were losing money every single year, so it's easy to say, "Yeah, let's not do wrestling anymore." I mean, I think that's that's kind of a cop out. The whole AOL Time Warner merger it maybe no. made it made it more difficult, but yeah, if you're making money, why would you eliminate that department? Well, I think it made I think it makes enough sense because it made it difficult enough that Eric eventually pushed as far as he could until he was no longer needed from the people from the people above him 
Because that's that's brands, what happened. Some brands just don't want to be associated with pro wrestling. Yeah, yeah. But if you're making money, then why wouldn't you want to be associated with anything? You'd be surprised. I, I'm sure that's what he told them day in and day out until he couldn't. It's all about perception, guys. It's all about what the fans believe. And did you as fans believe that Ric Flair was having a heart attack? Yeah. When I was 15 years old, absolutely. <laughs> all right. In, the, in this famous promo that happened uh, before Stargate 1998, in the lead up to it, he's, he's clutching his chest on television. Everyone's confused. Bischoff told no one about this planned spot. And he also... Um, clarifies that the rumor that he and DDP came up with this is not true, but it was another genius Bischoff idea. He explained a little bit to us last week in the Q&A about liking to surprise people and getting a real reaction. Oh, he did. He absolutely did. I was terrified. (laughs) I was, was, um, and you know, this is like, like a family, like, because like my family has a history of heart attacks and all of a sudden when I'm watching Ric Flair on Nitro, I'm like, oh my God, Oh my god, I'm watching one happen right now. And then but like I was still kind of questioning a little bit, but obviously he was grabbing himself. But then when Bischoff came out after the commercial, just like kind of walked to the ring and he was just like, you know, just stone face not trying to talk in the character, doing like, you know, da 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 da. He's being taken to the hospital, blah 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 blah. And it was just like, Oh my god, Ric Flair might have just died live on television. I was ho- I, I was hooked. Because I, I, I believe that 100%. It was good. And I'm sure you can't do that now. Oh, God, no. Oh, well, like, God. You can't do that on TV now. Like, no. For a variety of reasons. It would no, be great if could. someone would try. I think you could. Well, no, no I, you physically can't ask. No, like, the camera think, think, won't shudder. Yeah, like, I mean, I, I think, the camera won't shatter if you no, try. Be, like, you no, can do it. They can't because it actually happened with Jerry Lawler. They well, cannot yes. do it again. Oh, well, they shouldn't. That's true. It won't happen again. Yes. <laughs> Well, maybe all a leader, whoever will do it. All right, let's jump into Starcade 1998. Let's head over to Washington D.C. Right, MCI. MCI yeah, Center. Oh, back to the MCI Center. We we are there. We're uh, opening up with a Billy Kidman and Ray match that uh, Bischoff didn't say a whole lot really about many of the matches besides his with Rick and the main event. So I'm just curious if there's anything that stood out to you guys here. Um, um, I. He disliked this match a lot. He said that they yeah. worked like heavyweights. Mm-hmm. I, I their asses I, were dragging. I, 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 I rewatched the show last night. Yeah, uh, because Starcade '98 might have still been more entertaining than Monday Night Raw. But <laughs> <laughs> did I say that out loud? That's you did. weird. I mean, <laughs> but, I believe you. But I mean, you know, I I get what he said. How it it did feel a little long. Mm-hmm. But I enjoyed the match. Um, and I completely forgot that immediately went right into Eddie and Kidman. Mm-hmm. So the fact yeah. that Kidman wrestled three guys in 30 minutes yeah. or so. I mean, that was really impressive for Kidman. And I can understand him being exhausted after the Eddie match. <laughs> I'm, I'm mostly just kind of glad that he wasn't really able to defend the the weird, eccentric matches that were on this card. Yeah. yeah. Where I was like, all right, he's like, all right, you know what? I give up. I, I, I don't know how to explain that. And I was like, ah, I'll take it. Kind of. I was like satisfied with what he said. I was like, yeah, all right, cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, it sucked. You know, you know, they had no place on the card. Also, I really enjoyed Conrad, especially since we've been doing Starcade all this month. By '98, going, this doesn't feel like a Starcade. <laughs> I thought this, that too. Why this when feels like, like when he said WCW Saturday match? night? Yeah, like this. Why is this match on Starcade? Or like sold out? I, or like, wait, are, are we on? Was Starcade? They, they were going to mania. Yeah, right? yeah. yes. people thought it was Bash of the Beach. No, no, no. Like, Starcade like, was always there. WrestleMania. Yeah. 
So I don't know why I didn't. So it's like your huge payoffs happen at Starcade, except for 98, I guess. Like, Jerry Flynn has no reason to be on Starcade. The great Jerry <laughs> Flynn, thank Jerry Flynn. you. Yeah. Well, there was some praise for one of my favorite guys in the whole biz, Norman Smiley. Mm. This was a really great moment because uh, Bischoff was talking about getting shit for not using the old guys right or using them too much and then not using them enough. And he says that Norman Smiley is one of the most underrated of the Monday Night Wars era and that of anyone, he deserved a big push to the top. But it never happened. At the time, I had no idea who Norman Smiley was. Norman no, Smiley. No <laughs> idea whatsoever. There coast was no, to coast like buttered toast? <laughs> there was no YouTube, Wikipedia back then. Knowing what I know now and how amazing he was as Black Magic in Mexico, mm-hmm. like, that guy was awesome. Like, he can work. Because we always kind of remember him for the big wiggle. Bro. Yeah. Bro, you need to put a helmet on him. Who, Sorry. That's all I got. Who let Russo in here? <laughs> Bro. Get him out. It's it's a one it's a one word impersonation. <laughs> well, I was dying to hear who that second guy was because um, he gave someone else props bam, earlier bam, in the bam, episode. Bam Bam, yeah, yes. he said there was going to be two, and so it was Norman Smiley. No. And he didn't elaborate a lot on Bam Bam Big Glow, but one we have a fan question, so we will definitely be getting that out of him a little bit I love later. Bam Bam. bam Bam was great. Love Bam Bam. Bam Bam was awesome. Well, we we will hear why he didn't get his big push a little later on. They talked about Perry Saturn and Ernest Miller have lacking chemistry a little bit. Brian Adams and Scott Norton versus Fit Finley and Jerry Flynn. I felt bad for Scott Norton. I was a I was a mm. big fan of Scott Norton. I'm just like, why right. is he getting I love Vicious and Delicious, right? <laughs> is that what their name was? Well, Bob Bagwell and Norton. Oh, I loved Fire and Ice when he was with Ice Train. <laughs> well, you're, Eric, you're, you're Eric Bischoff fast-forwarded <laughs> through that match when he when yeah. he watched it back. That's how bad he said I don't blame him. Was. You don't blame him? No, because that match was not good. Again, there was no build-up. Jerry Flynn. See, I don't, I don't even care if the match is on the card. There was no build-up. Yeah. It was just a random tag match. There's none whatsoever. All right, guys. It's time now before you get too wound up there over there. Judge. <laughs> we're not even. It's time to get quiet. Conrad style. Because we're going to roll tide on EB's ass. <laughs> I know this is just the, the, the setup to this was hilarious. So they're getting to the Eric Bischoff versus Ric Flair match, of course. Conrad is salivating. We can't see him, but I'm pretty sure he's foaming at the mouth, waiting, ready. He lets Bischoff know that he has been waiting to ask him <laughs> about this since they started this show. This match, this burning question may be why we have 83 weeks. Because Conrad wanted to get to all this, and he basically just wants to take him to task for beating Ric Flair at Starcade. But Bischoff explains his side of why this worked and why it's what should have happened. Did he convince you guys that this was the right booking? I'm going to save it for, for when Eric's on. Ooh. Well, then. That's that's a little tease. <laughs> um I mean Ric Flair I don't I don't have his career win loss record in front of me but I think it I think we can all probably be in agreement he lost more matches than he won. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So to me I wasn't I wasn't against him losing this match. I mean I wish there was maybe going back and watching it just a little more than Kurt Henning walking down and just handing him brass knuckles. Yeah. Mm. Like if Kurt Henning punched him with the brass knuckles because he's a lot bigger and stronger than Eric Bischoff. Mm-hmm. Okay, but I wasn't against Bischoff getting the win because I mean he mentioned you know you want to build heat. 
And it wasn't at the end of the show where you're not necessarily trying to have the fans leave happy. So it was, as far as where it was on the card, I felt it was the right position for it, right position for the heel to get the win. Mm -hmm. And, again, maybe altered to finish a little bit, but I was fine with it. And he even said that. I agree. He even said that, that he would have rather changed the finish to be... to make Rick look stronger in a loss. Mm-hmm. So, like, maybe Kurt Hennig gives him the brass knucks, and it's still a two count. And then someone else has to come down and give him something else. I thought he said he'd, he would he would have... If he would have changed it, he would have taken the loss. Well, he also... No, I think he said that he would have had Rick not sell so much. Yeah. Or he would mm-hmm. have asked Rick to not sell, because... Part of it was because he, he sold his he sold his punches like he dude, like it was he sting. He just had a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> How are you just gonna not sell that? Because yeah, he he's amazing for wrestling that soon after having a heart attack. Oof. Well, I'm kind of surprised that Conrad was so fired up about this, but you guys as fans, kind of from the same era, same yeah. age range. I, I, again, that you, I was gonna tell him you like that upset I was gonna about tell it. him like he's got nothing to defend himself about. I thought it was fine. I thought it was, a, um, I thought it was the right finish. On paper, imagine. I'm fine with it. Imagine if Baron Corbin beat The Undertaker at WrestleMania this year. That's how it looked to Conrad. On paper. I wouldn't be against that this year. The Undertaker's did, did, 80 did years Baron old. Baron Corbin cheat? Yeah, he has no, We are not talking about <laughs> Baron Corbin on this show. Okay, boys. Slow your roll. I'm trying to make a modern comparison. <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> I think that's a fair comparison. Let me, let me ask you a question that I've asked many uh, wrestling fans in my day. <laughs> Are you guys ready for the main event of the night? Maybe. Yes. Wow, it's been so long since I've said that. <laughs> uh, and that wasn't a very enthusiastic like, answer, but this is right now. huge. <laughs> Stop it. Mark, mark it out. Wait, Stop is that Chris St. Cloud? No. <laughs> it's Kevin Nash versus Goldberg in a no DQ match for the WCW title. And Goldberg is on a 173 win streak. So what do we do with this? Wait, was it no DQ? How else would the cattle prod have worked? Because right? the ref behind the referees. Back. Yeah. Well, yeah, but okay. Wikipedia said it was no DQ. Right, maybe yeah, it was. Maybe I, I, I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I don't remember either, but you're probably right. Yeah. I'm, I'm you're, not say you're probably right. I'm not Honestly, say I fast forward through the intros when I watch these back. And, and mostly just watch the matches. Got it. But, um, you know, either way. That's acceptable. Either way, this is a pretty big deal. Yeah. Kind of a big deal. Whatever yes, Wikipedia cited is wrong if they're wrong. <laughs> well, Conrad takes Eric Bischoff to task on this just because it, he's asking, is Kevin was Kevin Nash the right guy? Why the cattle prod? Why couldn't we just set this up for a rematch? Why couldn't it be a clean win? Did you guys get... It, it, we're, okay, first of all, let's rewind a little bit. Would those have been <laughs> questions that you guys were burning in your brain? Like, nope. you heard their cover in Starcade 98? What? I, 15, think, oh, I think this was the perfect finish. Oh, God. I think at the time, again, it's easy to go back and say, oh, yeah. Okay, so you were not asking yourself these questions beforehand. At age 15, this was the very first pay-per-view that I watched live. This was the first time I went to a friend's house. We all pitched money in because we wanted to see Goldberg versus Nash. Yeah. We wanted to see if Nash would be the guy to uh-huh. end the streak. And and at, I remember watching it. Scott Hall getting involved with the cattle prod. I loved it. At age 15, I loved the finish. Looking back at it last night, I'm like, oh, well, there's black tape over this, the, the weapon that he was using. Um, there's clear sound effects that are being... So looking back now, 20 years later, mm-hmm. 
Oh no, that that looked kind of cheesy at the time. It was great. Nash was a lot of people don't remember this. Nash was being groomed as the guy. Yes, like he was a huge he, star right 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 then. Right then. So and I he, thought he and was, he was the guy, guy in WWF. I thought he was a perfect guy for that. And not only that, it's easy to hate it back on it because then we kind of find out. Well, Nash was the head booker, so I think it's just reason to complain about. Oh well, of course it's bad because Nash booked himself to beat Goldberg. Yeah, it sounds bad, but at the time when we didn't know that mm-hmm. and we're fans, it was awesome. But let, let's also ask. Besides maybe the rematch with Hogan. That, yeah, that the, the follow-up was garbage. Be, be, well, <laughs> well, I'm saying besides maybe Hogan getting the rematch as for against Goldberg, who else besides Kevin Nash at that time mm-hmm. would it make sense for Goldberg to lose to? Mm-hmm. No Steve one. Austin. Who was in WWF? You didn't say. That's very interesting. I didn't specify under WCW contract. (laughs) He wasn't losing to El Dandy. Yeah, he just won the World War III, so he had a lot of momentum. Nash was the perfect guy to be them at the right time. Yes. Interesting that that's your guys' thoughts now. I'm kind of surprised George and I are in such agreement on this. I am actually too because I. <laughs> okay, so no for a second. Okay, okay, granted, ahead. I didn't watch this one live. I heard this one on the schoolyard the next day, mm-hmm. and to me, and to have someone explain this to you sounded really ridiculous. And then sure, I didn't see it until much later. So, but it was already painted to me as wait, what? Okay, but that's the exact point that Bischoff makes in this is that at the time everyone loved it, but now that we have these what do you call them armchair quarterbacks and people who are ripping everything apart, we're going back, we're watching it again. Like you even say now, we see. Yeah, twenty years later, it it looks cheesy, but of course, in nineteen ninety eight, obviously there are different effects, different ideas. Because back then. I remember at the time, Hall and Ash were not friends, so I was like, oh my god, are they going to get back? To, are the outsiders back together again? Right. Are they good guys? Are they bad guys? Like, all these questions that. You should be having when a pay per view is over, especially when earlier in the night the Hall cut a promo, mm-hmm. like kind of talking yeah. down on Nash. So again, it's another thing. I don't think I don't think uh, he should be able to defend himself, or he shouldn't have to defend himself because I think they did nothing wrong with this main event. And the idea that Goldberg needed a stable of heels and everything that happened sort of after it makes it's, sense. Match it's went the down? follow up that ruins everything. Mm-hmm. It's that's, finger, that's what ruins the finger everything. poker doom was what screwed it up. Yeah, that's what screwed it up. So that's what kind of makes this event tainted. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's it. Yeah, because well, if the finger poker doom didn't happen, I don't think people would have this reaction to it. Mm-hmm. That's fair. I also hearing Eric poo poo the automatic rematch clause kind of anno- <laughs> kind of annoyed me. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Where I, it's like, I, oh, oh, that's not a good enough reason. <laughs> well, this is an MMA that makes no sense in pro wrestling. Like, like what? I'm sorry. Eric, I mean, I have to disagree with him on this one. I I do agree, especially <laughs> by now. Like that's an overused trope in wrestling. But if you're Goldberg. If you're Goldberg and you've won 197? 173. 173, sorry. If you've won 173 and then someone beats you and it took a whole stable of heels and a cattle prod, I think that's all the heat you need for an automatic rematch. And, and they it, were planning on that. that yeah. Goldberg and Nash was announced for the Georgia Dome show. It wasn't until the middle of the show where they announced, like, oh, Goldberg's arrested and, uh, yeah. and Hogan came in. So, I mean, I was excited to watch Goldberg and Nash at the Georgia Dome a week yeah. later, but, again, all that stuff happened. It kind of ruined everything. Mm. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> you wanted me. Sense. You wanted me. You wanted me to be energetic. I don't. I like it. I don't think Chris was expecting this response from us. <laughs> I like it. I like it, guys. Well, something we always get fired up. Let's talk about the dirt sheet debunks this week because there were far less of them. Thank God. Than usual. <laughs> I feel like we spent the last two weeks before this going, and Dave Meltzer said this, but then Bischoff said that wasn't true. Whereas this episode, we got uh, one, maybe two at most. Uh, Bischoff freaked out mid pay per view about Ben. Benoit saying he would leave that whole story. Bischoff said that was BS. But other than that, no, uh, no dirt sheet debunks. 
this week. Does I'm, that mean Meltzer did his job in 98? Is that what we're saying? Or that, or that means he didn't do anything, which I'm also fine with. <laughs> <laughs> he took the year off. <laughs> Had to have been one of the two. Gentlemen, is there anything that you would like to add about this Starcade 1998 episode of 83 Weeks? I, I was kind of surprised on how much shorter this episode was mm. than last week's. Yeah. Because it was, obviously, there was still the controversial finish. There was, you know, the big deal. And we're still, you know, with the amount of money that they made. And this was like an hour shorter than last week's episode. Mm-hmm. Which, And I felt like there were more ads than last week's episode. <laughs> I can I can say for certainty that there were. Oh, okay. So um, you know for a fact. Okay. Um, yeah, he wouldn't know. <laughs> he wouldn't know for a fact it was. Um, I don't know. I feel like there's a certain fire between Conrad and Eric right now that they're trying to keep in the right to place. Maintain, yeah. They're trying to maintain that fire, and if that means this episode's an hour or less, so next week they can scream and yell about Brutus the, Brutus the F and Barber Beefcake... I'm okay with it. Was he the butcher thing? He was the butcher. Oh, I made a really funny graphic. I'll text it to you. All right. (laughs) All right. Well, on that note, enough of you guys over here. (laughs) We will be right back in just a moment with Eric Bischoff. Stay tuned. You guys are punctual. <laughs> All right. Coming back in three. Oh, uh, Christy, give me a thumbs up when you're ready. Two seconds, guys. All right, here we go. Coming back in three, two, one. Welcome back to After 83 Weeks. Joining us now is an author, entrepreneur, the former head of WCW, and the host of 83 Weeks. Say hello to Eric Bischoff. Hi, Eric. Oh, it's just flying it's so fast. All that stuff. It's obvious I can't hold a job. <laughs> Well, uh, we just appreciate that you are uh, holding your end of this Q&A bargain because all the fans have some juicy questions for you this week. Let's jump right into it. There's a really great one to kick us off because you touched a little bit on Bam Bam Bigelow on this episode, but our fans are wondering, why wasn't Bam Bam pushed to the top? You said a little bit about it, but they want a more in-depth answer. They weren't they weren't satisfied with what you dished out this week on 83 Weeks, and they want to know, why was Bam Bam not pushed? That's a good question. We did talk about Bam Bam, and one of the things that I said about Bam Bam was that looking back at this particular episode, it made me realize that Bam Bam Bigelow was a missed opportunity. I mean, I'm I'm acknowledging I should have done more. He was certainly capable of more. He was a ton of potential. Easy guy to work with, too. Good guy. Um, So the fact that there was no reason why other than he just didn't, it just didn't make my uh, my radar or anybody else's at that time. And again, 20 years later, looking back, I'm kind of asking myself the same question. So um, it, it's a worthy question. Mm-hmm. I, I, <laughs> I agree with it. Um, also in that same breath, you were talking about the Sandman who came into WCW. I think some fans have been asking specifically how that came to be because you have you have the narr- – there's the narrative that you're raiding ECW's locker room. But in 98, was Sandman trying to come into WCW? Everybody that came to WCW from ECW was trying not just a little bit, but desperately (laughs) to come to WCW. 
And Terry Taylor and Kevin Sullivan in particular uh, had a lot more knowledge of, they were far more familiar with the talent out of that market. Uh, and they're the ones that brought that talent in. But I can assure you, because I was the one doing the deals, there was not one person that came from ECW to WCW that did so reluctantly or with any degree of hesitation because they were all dying to get paid. And and Paul was historically, and I'm not knocking Paul mm. for this. He was, you know, he's, he's a small business. He's an entrepreneur. It takes a long time. Cash flow is always a challenge with a with any new business, and wrestling's no different. But the guys were not getting paid, and they were coming to WCW because we needed talent, and they knew they'd get a check. 1998 was one of the most important years in, in, in wrestling, introduction of Thunder. Maybe in hindsight, it might be easy to answer this question, but if Thunder never existed, do you think WCW would have lasted longer or maybe even still been around today? Okay. It's a hypothetical, <laughs> and I effing hate him. Right? <laughs> no, I oftentimes won't answer them, but that's a good one because that's one that could easily have not happened. I mean, there was a period of time in 98 when a lot of people um, were trying to convince Ted Turner not to launch Thunder. And I won't go into all of the issues and the challenges that Thunder created because we don't have enough time here on this show. But the, the answer would have been things I don't know. You know, I don't have a crystal ball. I can't go back in time and predict what the future would have been. Um, but I can tell you that things would have been dramatically different on a number of levels that people wouldn't begin to realize unless we had an hour or two to talk about it. How much different things would have been had we not had that challenge of thunder. One example, in all likelihood, Bret Hart would have not come on board to WCW if we wouldn't have had thunder. That's one really you know, glaring example. And it goes beyond, way beyond that. Eric, I want to go to the very beginning of Starcade, where you know the the production it shows like a little video promo. Then you have the pyro crowds going nuts. But then once that ends, we have the commentators really breaking down what the matches are going to be seen. And then it cuts to Gene Okerlund, and then it cuts to a QVC commercial. So I'm just kind of wondering, from the aspect of the people live in the audience. Do you feel with like the long delay from the music intro and the pyro to the first match actually happening, was that? Do you feel there was any type of low there? And then along with that, what was the relationship with QVC? Uh, the relationship with QVC was a, a new relationship at this point. When you're seeing this commercial, it was a relationship that we were trying to explore and develop and grow. It came about through um, a woman by the name of Sharon Sadello who was the VP of marketing at that point, and uh, she put that deal together. Um, to answer your question about the formatting of, of the, you, you're, you're right, you know, from a television point of view, that's a horrible way to, to start out a television show. But keep in mind, this wasn't a television show. Mm -hmm. um, we had a captive audience. We had business that we had to take care of. You know, it, it's one, you know, you've got the audience in the arena, you got to keep them happy, but you've got to keep your pay-per-view audience happy too, because they're probably six or eight times more revenue than the people in the arena. So you've got to serve a lot of masters. You've got to serve your sponsors. You've got to serve the, the, the people in the arena, the live, arena, the live show, but you also have to serve the pay-per-view. And in order to set up a pay-per-view, you've got to tell the backstory. You've got to explain why we're here. You've got to put each match in 
in context. Otherwise, you're just throwing stuff out there and it doesn't feel like it means anything. But your point is a well-taken one. I think it could have been balanced a little bit better. I noticed a lot of things in this show. You know, I think you'll hear um, me say quite a bit that the match just went too long. There were a lot of matches that were absolutely great until they went about five minutes too long. And it kind of lost me. There was something else you mentioned in this episode about TV Guide and how uh, you guys, uh, it was a transactional thing, shall we say, for TV Guide. And we were wondering, as we kind of broke it down and talked about your conversation, if you were implying that the WWF also paid to be in TV Guide at that time. I believe they did. Just like Vince McMahon paid to have his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And and by the way, so does everybody else. So it, it's marketing and it's promotion. I would assume that they did. I, obviously, I wasn't there and I didn't handle their, their account <laughs> payable or receivable, so I don't know. But I would imagine it was, just like ours was. Mm-hmm. Well, that actually tees me up for what's on mine. Do you want to start a Kickstarter for 30000 to get you a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame? <laughs> you deserve it, Eric. You deserve it. Is that all it is? It's it's thirty thousand dollar application fee. Fifteen thousand is for the actual star, and fifteen thousand is for the Chamber of Commerce who upkeeps it. It's a six member selection committee that meets in June. I may have died. Christy, do you know any of them personally? Um, I don't, but I got six months to create some relationships. (laughs) (laughs) I'll do it for you. I bet you you know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody. We may be able to get to that committee. We got a lot of time. I like that's just, I, you know, I was running the numbers quickly in my head. That's about sixty grand for me to have a, a, a star on the holiday. You know what would be really great is to have it right before Vince McMahon's. Yes, <laughs> yes. I I could preempt him. <laughs> well, I don't. Oh, sorry, I totally just. Oh, I, I love don't, that. Are you? Are you gonna ask another? No, please. Okay, I don't necessarily have another question, but I don't think you should have had to defend your match with Ric Flair. I think that was a perfect booking, the perfect finish. Because even 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 as a fan, I hated the finish. But you, a lot of people forget that you got you. Uh, Ric Flair got that win back the next day to take control of WCW. Like, why why is it like you don't have to defend yourself? That's all I want to say. Conrad was like, "Oh, I I wanted to tell you from the beginning of this." I'm like, "Dude, that was the perfect finish." Like, as a fan, isn't that what you want? Is it's to get heat from the fans, which I you totally got, but in a good way. Exactly. You know, if you, don't, if you don't get heat, if you don't piss people off, then nobody gets excited when the good guy wins. And, and yeah, I got a lot. I got a lot of heat. Got to make out with his wife, <laughs> make fun of his kid, beat him at Star Kid. I know Conrad was really hot about that. Yeah, and it, it, it made his win the next day so much more important. I thought he was going to start crying. I really did. I thought he was going to break down. Um, I I want to go to the match. You you. Uh, really put over Norman Smiley a lot in, in your podcast this week. I actually want to ask you about his opponent, Prince Iakea. I'm sure that name does not come up often with questions. But he, um, you know, he had he had a good run. He was a TV champ. He was a cruiserweight champ. But to me, he never really was getting the reaction that that Norman Smiley got or that other guys got. I was just kind of curious on on your overall thoughts on if you felt Prince Ikea lived up to the point where you thought he would get or if he should have been more. You know, I've said this before. When you, when you look at – I mean, Prince Ikea, technically, he was pretty damn good in that match. Uh, Norman had a lot more experience. Sure. You could see that. You know, Norman really carried that match. But Ikea is a young guy. He had a great look. Um, he was great in the ring. 
He was a unique character, but he didn't have that it, you know, and it's, it's no different, you know, in the music business, as an actor, an actress, as a singer, uh, it's just the same thing as in the music business, but <laughs> if you're a performer, um, it's why, you know, there's probably 100,000 great guitarists walking around on the face of the earth right now that are phenomenal guitarists. Mm, but, you know, there's only one, Eddie Van Halen. You know, there's, there's, there's only so many really great ones. You know what I mean? And that's what it is with performers. Sometimes the character just doesn't have that, you know, it's intangible. We call it charisma. We don't really know what charisma is. We have a general sense of it. It means different things to different people in different contexts. But I think for the most part, wrestlers either have they either have that charisma, which you know makes them shine above everybody else. Even though technically they may not be as good or, or better, but they seem to shine through. And I think that's what guys like Prince Ikea were missing. They just didn't have it. Are there guys on the rosters right now out there working TVs that you think, oh, they don't have chemistry or they they don't have charisma? You know, I don't I, I don't watch it like that. You know, for me to, to have a judgment or an impression, I wouldn't pass a judgment at this point in my life. No need to. I don't have a dog <laughs> in the hunt. But if, if, if I were to be backstage and just try to get a vibe, you got to get to know somebody. Because what you see on camera isn't necessarily all their potential. Mm -hmm. There's been a number of people that, you know, you, you wouldn't have guessed when you saw them backstage that they were as charismatic as they are. I think that's probably true in a lot of other performance arts. But um, I'd have to get to know somebody because that's when you get to know what their passions are, mm -hmm. how far they're willing to go, how much they become the character, you know, are willing to try to become the character. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's not something you can really get to know by watching somebody on television. So. There, but there must be guys that you see and you think, oh, I have an idea for him. Oh, I know what he needs to do. Oh, I would know how to help him. Doesn't that just kill you? It used to. It doesn't anymore because I... <laughs> I know this sounds like kind of zen shit, but <laughs> <laughs> when I watch it, I watch it for different reasons. I don't, I don't analyze what I watch. I know that sounds crazy from a guy who's was in the business for thirty years and produced it and had to analyze it all the time. But when I watch it now, I just, I, I look for the story. You know, I want there to be a story, and sometimes, more often than not, I'm disappointed because the story isn't really there. It's it's all changed, and I realize I'm an older viewer, so what I want in terms of story is different than what an 18-year-old kid wants. Mm -hmm. And by the way, that's the target, so guess what? But I, I look for story. I, I look for believable action. You know, I went off on a rant the other day. Uh, we were in Rochester, New York, at the Comedy at the Carlson Club, uh, Conrad and I, for our live show. And I talked about Becky Lynch. I'm a huge, I'm more of a Becky Lynch fan right now than I have been a fan of anybody in the last 15 years. Wow. And wow. It's, it's because about 10 days ago, or two weeks ago, I began noticing her social media <laughs> tweets, the, the messages that she was hmm. putting on social media. And her messages, first of all, if she has somebody writing them for her. I want to know who that person is Pretty because sure that person is a really <laughs> smart writer. Really understands social media better than anybody that I've seen in a while. Number two, if she doesn't have somebody doing it for her and she's doing it herself, she's going to be the next Stone Cold Steve Austin for WWE because she is a believable character based on what I'm. Forget about what I've seen on television. 
I'm, I'm just I'm not discarding it, but setting it aside. Her ability to capture my imagination in social media was profound. I mean, I went, whoa, she's got it. I don't know who she is. I, don't, I mean, I know who she is, but I've never met her in person. I, you know, I don't know who she is. I don't know how she did, but this is good stuff. She's becoming so believable um, and unique. I mean, that's that's something you can't teach. That you cannot teach charisma. Someone's either been gifted by God with it, or they're not. And if they're not, it's just really too bad to go find something else to do. Really, or be happy with whatever level of success you can achieve. But to be that really, you know, breakout star, you've got to have that charisma. And I think Becky Lynch does. Did she convince you to watch TLC? Did you tune in on Sunday? No, I was traveling on Sunday. I was mm. flying back from New York. I was at I was in Rochester. My flight left Rochester at one o'clock in the afternoon, and I didn't land in Billings, Montana, till like eleven o'clock at night. Um, going to the the Four Horsemen, because you know, obviously, you had your match with Rick, and there was the story of the Horsemen were banned uh, from being in in the arena. I'm just I've always been curious who who kind of decides on okay this guy we're gonna make him a horseman because the horsemen are just like you know the most you know arguably the most prestigious stable in wrestling i'm just kind of curious if like does does rick have any say whatsoever in okay he can be a horseman no he cannot be a horseman it's it's not you know it's not a democracy nobody gets to vote Mm -hmm. um we don't we don't take a poll or ask for a raise of hands (laughs) (laughs) um or i should say we didn't uh, but it, like so many things, it's always a collaboration. You know, it, it'll, it'll start, you know, in a booking meeting or a writer's meeting with eight or ten guys sitting around a room, going, looking at a blank piece of paper and saying, okay, what are we going to do this week? And then based on what's been going on, you try to think of logical stories or a logical step in a story or an angle, and you just start bouncing ideas around a room. And that's how that came about. It was not like one person said, hey, I got this great idea. If we do this and this and this and this with the horsemen, that'll be good TV. Ready? Vote. (laughs) Well, then follow up with that. Who was the worst horseman, Mongo or Roma? I'd go Roma. I mean, because Mongo was so bad, it was almost kind of funny. (laughs) (laughs) He he was really like the character in, in Blazing Saddles. He was named after her. After the Alex Karras character yep. mm-hmm. that was, you know, at the campfire and knocked out the horse, and he was kind of a stumbling, bumbling, you know, <laughs> buffoon, but but a, but a legitimately badass guy. I mean, that was Steve McMichael, right? Yeah. I mean, he was he, he was really awkward, and this is unfair to criticize him because he was thrust into something that he had very little training or experience in, and then he's competing at the highest level with guys like Arn Anderson and Ric Flair. Kind of a messed up thing to do to him to begin with. But he was his heart was there, and he was believable. He was still Steve McMichael, number eighty six from the you know Super Bowl winning <laughs> Chicago Bears. He was the legit badass, mm-hmm. and it allowed people because he was so goofy sometimes to kind of look past his stumble bum approach to things. Mm. Well, maybe not. Well, maybe not. Maybe I'm full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you are, it's okay. Maybe I'm just trying too hard to defend him because I like Steve. <laughs> All right. Well, well, give us a straight answer here, sir. You know, the Young Bucks are starting a promotion called All Elite Wrestling. Any chance that you will be involved in that in any way? Um, 
hopefully I'll get an invitation to come and watch a show. Um, but no, I haven't had a conversation with, with the Bucks or, or anybody associated with them, so I, I, I put that on a very, very low probability meter. Okay. Any, <laughs> any, any thoughts about that promotion in general? Uh, chances for their success or advice for them? Um, well, I have a lot of advice, but um, look, I was so excited for them when they did the all-in event in Chicago because that was, I hate to use the term game changer because it's like one of those terms that gets overused. Like, we need to have a, a conversation. It's like, okay, you're going to yell at me is what you really want me to <laughs> convince me that I'm an idiot. Whenever someone says, we, we really need to have a conversation about something. <laughs> no, you don't want to have a conversation. You want to beat my ass. But, <clears throat> but when when the Bucks came out with Cody and they did the All In event, it changed everything because now you know a couple guys with their own money, which makes it even cooler, filled a ten thousand seat arena in less than thirty minutes. Mm -hmm. In twenty nine minutes, they sold out every seat in the house. That's that's like mind boggling. Like if you're doing mushrooms in the desert, you think about maybe if I did an independent show, maybe <laughs> I could come up with ten thousand people. You know, it's right? decent right. decent mushrooms in the desert would allow you to arrive at that you know thought. But nobody in their in their right mind would have thought that that could happen. Um, and then to do over, you know a million dollars in pay per view. And what's really cool about it is they did it without television. Mm -hmm. That's what's mind-boggling from a guy who's grown up in the wrestling business where you couldn't imagine being involved in the wrestling industry if you didn't have a solid television platform underneath you. These guys go out with their own money and prove everybody wrong. Mm -hmm. So I think, look, they're 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 in that they're in this they're in a zone right now. It doesn't come easily. It doesn't come often, but they're there. You know, be smart, go slow. You know, don't don't let it go to your head. Trust me. <laughs> Go slow and and only surround yourself with people you absolutely trust. That's my advice. And everything else, they need to pay a $30,000 consultancy fee that will then put toward your Hollywood Walk of Fame. <laughs> yes, we got, we got it all figured out for you, Bischoff. We there got we it go. All I like it. Out. Well, thank you so much for giving us your time again. We have to take a couple weeks off while the studio is closed, but we'll see you again in a few weeks. Have a happy holidays, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Bye bye. He's got the he's got the beard, the Santa beard going too, so it's good. It looks good. It looks good on him. You guys. Bye. Thank thanks. You. Thank you. Oh man, it's like juicier every time. This is just fantastic, you guys. We have to wrap really quickly, so guys, give your plugs, please. Twitter at Rosenberg, Instagram Vero Rosenberg, Prosentees.com slash Christian Rosenberg, and catch me hosting After Buzz TV Smackdown After Show. Yeah. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, G Hermosa, G H E R M O Z A. Twitter, almost exclusively at Steve Kaufman. That is K A U F. M-A-N-N, support the channels I run, including the one you're watching me on right now. Yes, make sure you click subscribe and that thumbs up button and watch me on The Maury Show this Thursday for festive holiday fails, viral videos. It's not a paternity thing. You'll love it. <laughs> Tune in, I promise. And hit me up at Christy Reports. Send your questions to us, guys, and we will see you in the new year. Happy holidays. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> 
The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principal.